We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. What's up, Electric People? Episode number twenty-two. We got Sterling Hills with us. What's up, Sterling? What's up, you guys? Episode What's 22. Up, hey, side note to all our listeners. This is actually the, our second pass at this podcast. We had a technical difficulty just a second ago. And so we're trying to do the intro and make it sound like it's the first time we've done it. But I think we should just come out and say this is our second time. Yeah, honestly, it's the best policy. It exactly, exactly how you did it the first time. It sounded good, man. <laughs> we're already <laughs> off to it. We're already off to a rough start. Uh, Sterling Hills is one of my absolute favorite people in the industry. And I know I've said that multiple times on this podcast, but I've never meant it more than I mean it right now, Sterling. And in this moment, I mean that with my entire heart. So you're on my, you're on my top five list, buddy. Hey man, you're my best friend. Okay. Well now you're on my top one list. (laughs) We're we're best friends, man. Did we just become best friends? Right here in front of everybody. 723. Go ahead. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I'm I'm also here. Adam, you're, you're a good friend too, man. <laughs> I don't know, Adam. You're in a distant eight. You're in a distant distant eight. Fine. He's I feel like Stir and I are true. actually pretty tight. Stir and I are pretty tight whenever we do the company trips. Like if I see him in Thailand or Tahiti or whatever, like there's a there's a kinship there that you you kind of it's just natural. You know what I mean? It's like we it's just true, pick right yeah. up where we left off and. We picked right up off the last conversation that we ended a year earlier. So it's true. Well, everybody, everybody can be a best friend when you're in Tahiti, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like That's look true. at the ambiance, you know. Touche. This is true. Yeah, uh, Seven hundred and twenty-three career installs, a legend by our standards. Um, here's the interesting thing: uh, we were discussing this on our first pass at the intro, but I actually want people to hear this. Uh, so I've held publicly that. Bakersfield is the best pound for pound solar office in the world. Direct sales office in the world. Adam McClellan, do you take any issue with that statement? Pound for pound. Yeah, it's tough to argue. Um, I mean, I don't, Sterling, I don't know what you think you're doing out there in a little small <laughs> market being so good. You know what I mean? Like, hey, hasn't, hey, hasn't anyone told you you're supposed to just kind of run a just a decent team out there and we're just hey. happy as long as as long as you keep that office open, we're happy. Seriously. That, hey, there was a couple of times where we almost had to shut it down. We'll probably get into that later, but we, we went through some rocky roads, guys. 2014 <laughs> was real messy. Well, here's here's the reason I would say that and the reason that Adam would have issue with it is Boston is the number one installing team, Boston North, at 7,385 accounts. Uh, D.C. North is second place with 7,000, 7,056, and Bakersfield uh, is 6,003 as of like right now. So the reason I would hold that they are the pound-for-pound best team is Adam mentioned it, but it's a relatively small market. It's under the same leadership uh, since its inception, and they haven't had uh, a quarter under 200 installs since like 2000, what, end of 2013. Something like that. So you look at like six years running, same group, all of the evolutions that have happened in the industry, all the things that have changed. We're selling different products. We're with a completely different group of people. We have different funding. We have different partners. And the contenders still 
remain producing amidst all of it. Just incredibly versatile, mm. and I think they'll continue to dominate forever. That that's the reason I think that. Hearing well, you hearing you say that, I I I mean, you just got to give credit to. Uh, there's just been there's been so many people. I mean, my my co DMs Jeff Gallivan, Darren Wilson. I mean, we've had just an incredible partnership and Renee Ramirez and just the, the leaders that, that have been around us have really teed us up well too. I mean, Ty, we, we were fortunate enough that when Ty Williams started, he happened to open up a uh, thousand Oaks, which is right next door to our office in California. And the very first time we promoted someone to be a divisional, it was Ty. And, and he was assigned over our office. So, Ty's actually been a huge part of our culture and in our contender name, our logo. He helped us develop that and uh, just, you know, come, he came to our office every single month since 2014. So we've, we've been pretty fortunate. We've had good leaders and we've, there's been a lot of people that have helped us build this market. So can't sit here, stand alone. It's, it's definitely been a team effort. What I, what yeah. I want to find out too is Bakersfield isn't, you know, on paper, this sexy market like a San Diego or, a, you know, a coastal city, you know, a Florida or Boston or New York or, you know, uh, Concord, you know, just it's not one of these like sexy markets. It's inland. Um, it's not a place that you hear people talking about like, hey, I'm going to go move to Bakersfield. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> I, 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 I'm really interested to hear And the reality is there's only handful of those quote unquote kind of sexy big markets and every other office we have in the company is I think actually more similar to what you're running in. And so I'm really interested to hear how you guys have created such a strong culture. Um, one where people don't leave your market and how you've managed to sustain that for the long haul. So yeah, man, yeah, it's be a I, good um, one. I totally disagree with you, man. Bakersfield super sexy. <laughs> it's a, uh, we've, we've got palm trees we have like water park i mean yeah it's, it's mm. popping here dude you need, you need to get I, out I will here, tell Adam. you this the longer the longer i like come out there and stuff like that the more it really does grow on you dude like i've got my favorite restaurants in bakersfield there's like got deep, a charm deep, buck it. owens is from bakersfield white yoakum <laughs> buck from owens, bakersfield baby. buck owens you know what i mean okay. like, <laughs> Dwight Yoakam, they got this, they got this like really nitty gritty, like, like honky tonk deep, like rock roots in Bakersfield, man. Yeah. But well, it's kind of, it's almost kind of like a Texas, Texas culture in California. Super conservative. Right. Yeah. It's unique for sure. Well, funny, so you know, funny like, story about, I was just going to say funny story about that. When I, um, when I first looked at solars back in 2012, I had a friend out in Hawaii that was actually telling me about solar. And so I went out with Chance and um, scheduled a couple of weeks to go out there and, and try it out. And at the time, I was just actually running a couple of side ventures with Ryan Tall, who's now on the East Coast. And and I had a friend in Hawaii, and he's like, hey, come check this out. And this person, Jeff uh, Sorensen, I actually recruited him to visit years earlier. He was out in Hawaii. He's doing really well. And so I flew out to Hawaii and said, honey, I'm going to go, you know, I told my wife, I'm going to go check this out and see, see what this solar thing's all about. Went out there for a week and I went out with Zach Latimer. I remember that first day and he dropped me off in Mililani in Oahu. It's just it's like a Japanese neighborhood, high end. 
Um, totally, I just got my butt kicked for a week straight. I, I think I sold three accounts, and everyone at that time was selling like three a day. So yeah, that was the heyday. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of, yeah, it felt like I was, I was just like the worst. Um, but I, I absolutely was stoked on the idea of moving to Hawaii. My wife and I, at the time, were living in living in Draper, Salt Lake area, Utah, and we had just built a brand new house. We were stoked with our lives. I mean, we're both from Salt Lake. So we had all our friends and family there. We had this uh, brand new townhome that we just built. And um, the idea of just living in Hawaii sounded pretty awesome to me. And ultimately, it was my wife that wanted to stay. She wanted to stay closer to home, just, you know, traveling back. We had just had a, our baby girl. She wasn't even one yet. And so Bakersfield was opening up at the time. We had uh, Concord was open, San Diego, and Apple Valley. Bakersfield was the fourth office opening up in, in California. So I called up the manager. All the markets looked at everything. And one of the things about Bakersfield that was attractive is there's just so many alarm customers. And so I remember the managers saying, hey, come try this out. We'll give you a list of 20, 30 vivid customers. You just go knock their door, sell them solar. And uh, so I, we go home after Hawaii. And I'm like, I really, I was all about the Hawaii thing, but Aaron wanted to be closer in California. So weighing the pros and the cons, I started looking into Bakersfield because I knew nothing about this place. And I just started laughing. You know, just <laughs> the reputation that Bakersfield has you know, is not the greatest, like you said, Adam, but, um, but yeah, ultimately that, that came down to, to my wife. She's the one really that, um, kind of guided us here to California, but I always joke about that, how I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii or Bakersfield and we chose Bakersfield of all places. You know, so you funny. laugh about it, but that's, that's really how, even when I came into solar, so I came in at the end of 2013, it wasn't about where you lived. I mean, Chance would always say that in the recruiting, he's like, pick a place you want to live. But it was really, I think the early people that came here was, where is my opportunity the greatest? And that's where I'm going to go. That's right. And this is going to be like five, six, whatever, 10 years yeah. of me building an opportunity and we'll make it work kind of wherever. That was really the culture well, then, huh? That's exactly mm -hmm. it, right. So, and, and even then, you know, I told my wife, I said, who cares? We live in Bakersfield for a year. Like I, you know, my, my goal was go to Bakersfield, do well, uh, take a management spot somewhere else and at that time, we didn't have a lot of offices open. And so I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe I'll live in like Orange County or, you know, somewhere nice. And um, so I was just, I put my head down. I was just going to grind. It wasn't a long-term play for Bakersfield. I knew I, I wanted to be a part of this movement for, you know, five, 10 years, but had no intentions of staying in Bakersfield. But like you said, Ty, it's, it really has like grown on us. And the opportunity came up eight months in. The manager that that was here that opened this office was uh, was let go actually, and so I was the top producing rep at the time, just right time, right place. Um, had recruited some people. I you know I was working with Ryan Tall, my old business partner, and and Darren Wilson and Jason Ball. We had a really good squad, and uh, just yeah, the opportunity was there. And, and at the time, I'm like, yeah, this is this is the clear choice. You know, take a management role in Bakersfield. I know this area have 70, 80 installs and. But yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't feel that long ago, but that was that was about six years ago. Well, Baco is also a little bit underrated. I mean, in Boston, you've got the Red Sox, you've got the Dodgers in LA, you got the Giants up in <laughs> San Fran, and Baco, you got who again? We got the Condors, yep. man. We got a you hot. Got, you, got Dwight you got the Condors. You got the Condors, <laughs> and then who, isn't there like an arena football team or something out there as well? The Rattlesnakes I, or something? 
Uh, dude, if we have an arena football team, they've got to be <laughs> terrible because I've never heard of them. Never. <laughs> hey, well, they do have a they do Bakersfield does have a pretty lethal softball team that spins up about once a year and they wear vivid orange and right. they just go. Love Gallivan that. had to get staples last year in their yeah. in their company softball league. <laughs> hey, we're the you bad in his head. We we are the bad news bears in that league, but we for sure got the best jerseys. You, got, you mentioned this a minute ago. Contender jerseys, man. You mentioned this a minute ago, where you said right time, right place, and I see this all the time, where I have up and comers who are not DMs yet, and I see them getting impatient, and I always kind of give them the same message, which is, um, guys, this this thing has always been really fluid ever since we've started. There's just things that always change. You never know what's going to happen. You never know when someone decides they want to move or just do something else, right? And so, um, so when that opportunity came where you got your shot, what was going through your head? And did you have like this idea or vision that you wanted to change the way it was currently going? Or I mean, you, you know, you finally got your shot. So what was going through your head? Yeah, it's interesting. So at that time in 2013, Alex Dunn was the interim CEO, if you guys remember that. And they flew in like 50 people or 40 people from the West Coast to interview for these DM positions. It was a period in the company where we were opening up like seven to eight offices. And so we knew we were going to be hiring more managers. And at that time, most offices only had one DM. So we we were just starting to realize that we needed two managers in most cases to manage these offices. And so um, we flew into corporate and went through the whole, you know, corporate interview. had to wear a tie, dress shirt. It was actually really funny. I don't, (laughs) I don't actually. I was there that day. It was random. I was working. Yeah. Well, I was working in the other building. I was selling alarms and I remember all these guys showing up because we don't, we don't dress like that in direct sales. And I remember being like, what is everybody doing here in suits? And I remember I saw Mike Mueller. He was in a suit and I was like, why is everyone doing it? And they're like, they're interviewing for solar positions. I thought it was the weirdest thing. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was random. In fact, I had the same. So when I went to corporate, I didn't even bring a tie. I didn't bring a uh, dress shirt. So I, I was staying in a hotel room with Adam Cox and he's like, Hey man, do you have a, do you have your shirt? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get the memo currently that we had to dress up. <laughs> so I think I went to like, you know, Kohl's or whatever and bought a shirt. And I think I borrowed a tie from somebody. So I, I for sure was like the worst dressed person in, in the, the group. But I thought that was funny too. Cause it, you know, I'm divin. This is the culture you've never had to dress up. You know, it's like people come in for, into my office for interviews and they're way overdressed. But yeah, that was, that was the, uh, that was the setup then. But no, truth be told that, that, that was kind of an interesting time because um, I went into that interview. We kind of knew that there would be a 30% DM and a 70% DM that would be in Bakersfield. And I had, I was pretty young in my career and I think more than anything, it was my ego, but I, I went into that interview fully expecting to be the 70% DM in my market just because I, I knew the team I had influence. I was a top producer and, and it was just interesting. Now I, I looking back, I was absolutely entitled, which is one of the biggest downsides in this industry of, of people and leaders. And it's, it's cyclical too. You know, you see, you see people fall into that pride and entitlement, 
but that was for sure where I was um, at the time. Jeff Gallivan was in Hawaii. He was the top producing rep in the company, and he ended up. Um, I think he went into that interview thinking he was going to go for Orange County or a different market. But anyway, they uh, the leaders ended up talking him into going coming to Bakersfield. And so after our interviews, we got the the um, the word that you know I'd be a thirty percent DM. And I just remember that was like that was kind of a gut check for me, an ego check. I I was like, man, this is this is crazy. I I thought I would be the seventy percent DM, and my expectations were obviously off. And so I had to learn that, you know, pretty quick and, and I was a young leader, but I had to set my ego aside and just, and, and run with what we had. And, and despite the percentage and, and all that stuff, uh, I had to get over that. And that took me a couple of months where, I mean, Jeff was awesome. He came in immediately added value and, you know, clearly we work well together because we've been together six years, but at the time in the beginning, a lot of people don't know, but that was that was hard for me. I, I had to, you know, kind of an ego check. Had you ever worked yeah, with Jeff before? Um, so in I never worked with him before, but uh, I did do a couple summers with Vivint, and I remember seeing his name, you know, like during the Cup. Uh, his office, I think, was next to ours when we were in Alabama. So I had heard his name, a couple of the guys that he worked with, you know, Aaron Gordon and Jeremy Cummings and, and those guys. So um, I, I knew who he was, but. Uh, at the same time, I was kind of like, who's this guy, man? Like, yeah, you didn't mm. get in Hawaii. Let's see what you can do here. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we made him earn his stripes when he came into Baco. Well, I think to your credit, man, there's a lot of people that don't navigate stuff like that very well. Like, you get you get to the point where you think, okay, I should be the 70% DM. And it almost impedes your growth. I've seen it countless times where people thought it was going to be one way. It ended up being another and then they made the situation much worse by clinging to it and not being able to to get over it. You know, we see that a lot in the industry. Exactly. I mean, you, you become obsessed with your percentage. And it's funny because back then, you know, we were paid like $25 a kilowatt or something. And so you're talking... <laughs> you're talking $100 an install. It's right? not that big of a deal. And and so and your mind plays, plays these tricks on you too. And you start to say okay, well, if I'm only 30% DM, then I'm only doing 30% of the effort. And, you're, and you know, you take a step back and like, dude, what? Like, like, yeah. hold on. Like, regardless of your percentage and your title, just do, do the best job you can do. Who cares what your percentage is? You can't, you can't control that stuff. So all it does is just your mindset just messes with you, right? You start to become obsessed with this percentage thing when if you just sit back and do the best job that you can do and bring the most value that you can uh, control, I mean, the cream always rises to the top, right? So it's like, just focus yeah, on, I wanna, on what you can just do the best job you can do. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about that principle actually, because I, I don't know of a better example of that than, than the path that your career has taken. So I'm reading this book right now. We just did the SoCal conference and I rec- uh, referenced this guy, Cal Newport that's done all this work on, on passion and how people actually find fulfillment in their job. It's really interesting. But he wrote this book called um, So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's based off of a, a Steve Martin quote, like a piece of advice he gave like in the 70s or something like that. But I, I find that very true to your position because you come in and you think you're going to get 70, you end up getting 30. You're the top producer in your office. Well, you keep going and you know, fast forward a whole bunch of ups and downs, which we'll go through in a second. And, you know, you're now um, promoted to be a director in Southern California, 
Southern California grew 38% year over year uh, from quarter two to quarter two. So you look at the massive impact that you have since then. The team since then has done 6,000 installs. You've been through countless pay changes, countless iterations of the group. Um, you know, you look at your personal volume. And the crazy thing was at the end of the story here, when, when um, you know, you received the promotion, there wasn't a single person that objected to it. You literally were so good that you couldn't be ignored. And I think that it's really important in the industry because I think a lot of people think, okay, the way I'm going to get my way is I'm going to be the squeakiest wheel. I'm going to be the loudest. I'm going to make sure people know. But you've never done that. You've always just consistently produced and consistently been there and consistently been a good mentality and a good mindset and a positive person to work with. And now I look at every single thing that's come as a result. Is that something that's conscious that you do or is that something that's kind of in your nature? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um, I mean, you know, in Tribe, we have the mantra, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I, I really, I just believe that. And I think that probably comes from, I'd say my dad. Um, I think, so growing up, my dad owned a roofing business. And from a young age, he would, he'd take me and my brother. My brother's about a year and a half older than me. You know, I'm probably seven, eight years old. He'd throw us in the truck and we'd go, you know, to these houses and he'd, he'd do his work on the roof. And um, eventually he'd get to the point where he'd let us, you know, bring him up a shingle or two or, or half a bundle of shingles. And as we got older, he'd let us actually start nailing in some of the nails. Like he'd, he'd hit half of them in, you know, halfway. And then we'd have a hammer, we'd follow, we'd hit him, we'd hit the nails in. And he slowly just taught us how to do these roofs. And I remember, um, my dad was, he was very like deliberate about his work and he was very like, he was very picky. <laughs> so when you messed up and you hit a nail that was half an inch off, it, you were going to hear it. Like you're, you're going to get chewed out. And, um, but I, I think that, that principle of, of just doing really good work came it just, just at a, a young age. And so, um, that's probably something that I learned from him, just, just following him on, on roofs and whatnot. And, you know, it's funny, we were, we were back in Utah for family reunion last week for a few days and I was spending some time with, with my dad and, and we had our kids and everything. And there's just, there's little things that I, I realize now that he taught me that I can kind of see him teaching our kids. For example, we went up on a hike and my four-year-old son was really tired. And I remember as a kid, just my dad would take us up hiking all the time and I'd get tired, you know, and you look at the top of the mountain, you say, you think to yourself, like, I, I can't climb this mountain. This is just, I, this is going to take three hours. Right. So he would, he'd play these little games and he'd say, Hey, see that tree up there or that rock or you see where the trail bends. Why don't we see if we can get to that point and we'll take a break and see how you feel. And he was doing that with my four-year-old son this last week. And it's just, it's interesting because I think in this job, it can it can sometimes feel overwhelming when you think about the task at hand. Like for example, if you, you know you want to do 100 installs in a year, if you want to become a legend, you want to get 500 installs. Sometimes what we're trying to achieve it does feel overwhelming when you look at the long term. And oftentimes we just need to go back to the weekly number, the weekly goal. Let me let me try to close three deals this week and submit two permits. And once you get to that point and you do it again and again and again, all of a sudden you realize how far you've come. And you start to believe that you can actually achieve it, right? And so 
I think um, that principle of, of just doing hard work and, and sticking with the task probably is something that, that I was taught from, from my parents at a young age. How do you train yourself to, you know, you, I think a lot of people have these big picture goals um, that are going to be really time consuming to get there. And then what happens is they get distracted along the way because they, they can't stay focused on the small little things that they have to do, you know, day in and day out in order to eventually add up to this big goal they have. So, I mean, you've been in the same market for what, six years now. So yeah, six and a half um, years, you know, and you, you mentioned that you wanted to be the main DM and, and now you're a director. So how did you, when you first got the job as the 30, as the co-DM, how did you stay focused and not allow yourself to even, you know, cause you could have moved markets even to go chase this, bigger dm job at any point i mean you could have been the main dm in a number of markets anytime you wanted but you chose to stay and then yeah uh, and then you were one of the last directors promoted as well and so you saw other guys getting promoted and you still chose to stay rather than move across the country or move somewhere else where you thought you might have a path of less resistance so how do how do you train yourself to like just keep your eyes on just one day at a time so two things come to mind. The first thing is, is honestly, it, at some point, I had to just get out of my own way, my my ego, and I had to say, I don't care what the percentage is. I'm going to do the best job that I can do for the team, and I'm, I'm going to stop making it about me. Because before then, it was it was my ego, it was my pride, um, you know, and people around me probably not helping, saying, "Hey, you deserve this. You should be the man," you know. And so, but, but as soon as you forget yourself, you know, and you say, look, I'm check the ego, what's the task? What's the goal? Let's move towards that. Stop focusing on this distraction. That moment when that happened for me, and it's ironic you, you mentioned the other opportunities I had, I had an opportunity to go manage with one of my good friends, Brian Rossiter up in the Bay area and um, went up to that market. It was actually before Jordan. It was right after Luke, Luke Coon left. And I remember I went up there and looked at everything and, and just kind of weighed the pro and cons between Bakersfield and that market. And, and I would have loved to work with Brian. You know, we talk all the time. He's one of my good friends. But um, th- when I made that decision to stay, it was it was such a relief because I was like deliberately saying, okay, I'm picking this 30% position versus going up here for, for 50, you know, whatever the percentage was. So, um but the second thing is, is before I, before I started solar, I remember I just read a book, I think it was the rhythm of life. And in that book, it's it, somewhere along the lines, it talked about writing out your, you know, your five year plan or your goals. And so I had, I had actually done that before I moved to Bakersfield. I wrote out this detailed plan on how much money I wanted to make. Um, I wanted, you know, like specific things, like how much LTIP I wanted to earn, uh, you know, if, if, how long it was going to take me to, to get promoted to be a manager, et cetera. And so I had all these uh, all these goals that I had subconsciously programmed in my mind, but I hadn't necessarily thought about um, for a while. But I remember um, going back and looking at those, what I had written down, my plan, and seeing how you really do follow your plan when you write it down. There's something about that, like just put it in your mind. And I think that really helped me. So one of the best things I think people can do is is write down a long term plan, write down you know the details, the things you want to achieve, uh, people you want to become, et cetera. 
um, that just gives you basically a roadmap, right? So I think that's that's super valuable for people to do. It's it's crazy how often, especially we see it in this job, people go and they work and they grind and grind and grind without a plan, right? It's like, it's like, well, they do the same thing financially. You work and you earn all this money, but then what do you actually do with it? That's a good that's a good challenge for people that haven't sat, sat down and written out their five year plan. Get that done, or else you're kind of just hacking at a tree with a dull axe, you know? Yeah. Well, especially because I mean. Those that work in the solar industry, it's just everyone's heard the solar coaster, right? There's there's so many ups and downs that inevitably inevitably will come. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have like a, a long term vision and perspective, it's it's just a lot more difficult to handle all the downs. Yeah. Here's here's something interesting, um, Adam, you might find this interesting. Sterling has never we've worked together again since two thousand fourteen and he's never once asked me for a promotion. Not one time. He's been promoted multiple times to different things, to different tasks, to different roles. And it's crazy that when I was thinking about this this morning, Stir, you literally, we've never sat down and said, hey, what's your vision for me? You've never sat down and said, hey, how soon can I become a director? Not one time in our six years have you ever done that. Why is that? I think, honestly, it's just because looking back at when I was you know, a young leader, just the, the entitlement that I had the first time around. To feeling like I deserve that position. Looking back, I can clearly see like how immature that was, and just how I was a different person at that time. And so, I, I mean, I remember when you called me about about this position, the director role. Um, I remember telling you, I was like, "Hey, just so you know, I have I have no expectations. <laughs> just, well, I want to I want to do it right this time, and not come in feeling like I deserved anything." And I think that's just a, an important principle. I, I think in life. You, know, you have people that feel like they they deserve stuff. Life owes them something, and I I'm trying to even teach my kids that you know life doesn't doesn't owe you anything. You, you got to earn everything, and um, that's just that's an important principle for me. So I wanted to make that clear this time around, not make the same mistake. I I appreciate that so much. Um, I feel like I've tried to kind of take a similar approach, where I think it's okay to let the person above you you know, know what your goals are and, and say, Hey, you know, it'd be a goal of mine to eventually become a DM one day or a director one day or whatever. Right. Um, there's a difference between that and then threatening to, you know, leave if you don't get promoted yeah. or being a really squeaky wheel. And I think sometimes people feel like they have to be a squeaky wheel in order to get what they want. And that's just not true. Right. So, yeah. um, I, I really love your approach to that and clearly it's paid off, but I think mo most importantly, it, it you've created this long-term influence on the people around you and not even just the people below you in the org chart, but the people above you. Um, I mean, I, I think you have a ton of influence on Ty and Jordan and Dave and these guys around you as well. And I hear them the way they talk about you and the way they value your opinion and, and all that stuff matters. And it all stems from the way that you've just organically grown into this position. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think yeah, the, I point isn't, the point isn't that Sterling never asked. It's you said it, Ster. It's that you you got rid of the distraction. So many people yeah. think that that you know their obsession with their next phase is is this really positive, ambitious driving force. 
really, a lot of times it's a distraction. And what I saw with Sterling was you said it, you know, 10 minutes or so ago that once I made the decision that, hey, I'm just going to do the best job I can do and I'm not worried about the percentage, that's a superpower. You, you, you hyper-focus on doing the best job and everything else comes as a result. It's, it's, yeah. it's a great legacy, Stir. You're, you're universally liked. It's not a question. It's just you are. It, and that's, that's a really cool thing to hang your hat on. No, I appreciate it. And I, I've, been, I've been so fortunate to work with incredible leaders around me um, with Ty and, and Taylor Turnbull, Dave Madsen, Mike Brand, you know, these, these guys have, I, I don't think you can become a good leader until you become a good follower. And I was fortunate enough to be able to follow people like Ty, like right from the early stages too, like 2014, 2013. Um, and so in Chance and Paul and, and, you know, we look at our CEO, David Bywater, it's like, we, we just have incredible leaders in this company. And so that, that you learn how to follow, you learn how to, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on systems now in large part because Ty taught me that, you know, systematically how to run an office. And so once you become a good leader, you really are a good follower. You really develop as a leader. And, and so a lot of the credit that you're talking about goes to the leaders before me because all I'm doing is imitating them. All right. So I, I'm just, I've become a really good imitator of the best guys in the industry and how they do, how they run their teams. And, and there's so many similarities to how you run your region and similar to how you run your team. You know, if you have a squad yeah, but on your office, that's the same thing. I, I think you're, I think you're selling yourself short a little bit because your team, like Titus said, is the number three team all time. And I, I think a lot of times our, our teams are kind of a mirror of the leadership. So it, you know, and Gallivan is one of my good friends as well. I love Jeff and, um, you know, you guys have been working together for a long, long time. Do you feel like your team is a reflection of, you know, the two of you, your personalities? Yeah, 100%. It's a reflection of, of all four of the DMs right now. Um, D. Will and Renee are just as big of a part of our team as me and Jeff. They have just as much, if not more, influence on our on our culture, our team. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I'll say this: I've never I've never been more excited about a team because we have we've gone through different evolutions. You know, since 2013, it feels like we've had three or four different teams. I've never been more excited than right now with the team that we have. You know, it's the bigs right now. It's just, this is just such a fun time of year. Um, but my co-managers have just done a great job just recruiting, building, and, and yeah, anytime you get a dynamic group of leadership together, I think it's, it's you know, combine that with Bakersfield Market, it's just, it's been a really good ride. But I'm grateful it's, to it's one of the guys. They're awesome. It's one of the teams that every time I go there, it's different still, right? Every It's yeah. it's like if, you know, it's like if you're, you're married to someone who's like just a master craftsman and every time you come in, like your house looks different. That's literally... There's something exciting happening with the contenders every time I go in. Um, Stir, I want to talk to you about branding your team. I think that's you guys have nailed this better than any other team that I've ever seen. But before we get to that, I, I need to know, is is your wife faster than you? Does she actually <laughs> run triathlons faster than you? Because I saw her cross the finish line and she looked faster than you. I mean, she was hey, really moving. My wife, she... Uh, <laughs> 
she's an incredible runner and recently got into track. So I got into triathlon because of Ty. This was like two years ago. So I started running these triathlons. And um, my wife recently, she did a triathlon in December. And she's like, yeah, she's next level, man. She took she took first place in her division on her first triathlon. And then this which last one. Which is so incredible. Which is unreal. Yeah, my she first, took my first place, triathlon, I was one. worried about like puking in the ocean. You know, and she won. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, she uh she's pretty incredible. Yeah, she's she's quite the athlete. Well and then her second one she finished second place, right? She did. So um yeah, we th- this one was more competitive too. So she, she actually improved her time by like, I don't know, ten minutes probably. She had a better swim, she had a better bike, but she she ran I think at like a seven oh nine mile pace. Um, which Jeez. is just lightning fast. So yeah, I I actually beat her. Hey, let it be known that I beat my wife. Can't let her beat me, man. But I only beat her by like two minutes, and she smoked me on the run. So I think my average She's is like coming. thirty. I think that I think How they are predicting the that this is the last time you get. Yeah, this She's is the last time coming. <laughs> yeah. How long is the run? Um, these ones were just sprints. It was a three mile run, but the one we do every year in Malibu, we get, you know, we get like 10, 10 to 12 guys together. That one is a Olympic distance. So you swim a mile in the ocean, you bike 25 miles and then you run six. So Ty, Ty you- invited all of the directors to, to do that a couple of years back. And I, I literally had no idea what I was signing up for, but I just kind of like instinctually, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Sterling didn't have a bike. I learned what it was. He didn't have yeah, anything. Didn't have and I was like, who wants to do this race? And Sterling's like, I'll do it. <laughs> like, that's my guy. Uh, yeah. So how, but that, that was when you, tri- when you do a triathlon, are the, the guys and girls going at the same time? So like you and your wife could, in theory, just be going together the whole time? No, thankfully, no, man, that'd be tough. I'd, <laughs> I don't know if my pride could take that, man. Um, no, we, yeah, they have different, different groups. Like you'll go 30 to 35 year olds, male, you know, and then after oh, all the age groups go, then they start the women. So it's like, she's like an hour behind me, which is cool. I One of my favorite, yeah. that's awesome. One of my favorite funny stories is um, Cam Catmull, who we've had on as a guest on the podcast before. He had never run a half marathon before and his wife had been training. And he told me that he's like, I ran it and I just kept her in my vision, like in the distance. And he, he just said, if I can just keep up with her the whole time, he's like, I know I can overtake her like the last like half mile or whatever. And so <laughs> he would see her, he would see her like peeking back to see if she could see him. And she later said that she couldn't see him like the whole race. So she just thought she was like smoking him. Right. But with like, <laughs> with like 200 yards left, he just went on a dead sprint and just passed her. <laughs> and like, as he passed her, he just heard her screaming like, no, like as he just flew past her to finish or whatever. But like, that's what I'm envisioning. Like in the future, you're doing these triathlons with Aaron and you're like, if I can just hang, I know I can sprint past her. Like at the last minute to try and make sure I don't lose. But I don't know, yeah, dude. She's she, a really she, she keeps runner. getting better. <laughs> She's getting better. I might just have to retire, man. I don't know if I can keep doing this. Hey, but let's open invitation. So today is the seventh. This will come out in a couple of days. The Malibu Triathlon, Adam, you're invited, is September 14th. So anybody that wants to come out there, I started training about. I've run five times. I just got my Strava report today. I've run nine miles total 
in preparation hey. for this. Six of which were hey, this Adam, morning, if that tells you anything. Adam, Adam, so, was, uh, Adam got into running. He got into running about the same time I did. Because I never, mm-hmm. I was not a runner before. And I remember seeing Adam's runs and he like entered into a couple of half, half uh, marathons and actually kind of inspired me, dude. I signed up for my first half last year, Santa Clarita. Yeah, the dis- the difference is you've kept it up, and I put all my weight back on that I lost when I was doing it. This so. is the invite. This is the invite, man. Yep. Let's go. Every Come time I do these podcasts, the every time I do these podcasts, I'm reminded how out of shape I am. So I feel like. <laughs> Maybe it's a sign that um, electric people is either going to end soon for me, or uh, I'm going to start getting in shape. One of the other, <laughs> or you're going to trim up a little bit, dude. <laughs> Not like you're out of shape, but hey, for anybody, DM us, DM us if you want to come race with us in a month. It's not pretty. Sterling looks good out there, but I am literally just driving the struggle buggy. But back to your earlier point, Sir. Um, sorry, I was getting a phone call. Back to your earlier point. Um, I like stuff like that, challenges like that, which your team does really well from, you know, the running, from the biking, to the, the, the games, to the competitions, to your call up for everybody. I mean, everybody in Sterling's office wears a bracelet that shows their number of what they're trying to hit. If you get into Sterling's truck, there's a sticker right in the middle of the steering wheel that <laughs> says 28. Like these guys, they turn these things into games, but this morning dude, I had to do the thing that your dad would do with you when you were a kid where, you know, I, I got out and started running and I was like, oh crap, I'm, I, I don't have much time. So I'm only going to run yeah. four miles. And then I started running and I, you know, that first like mile, you're like, I'm going to die. And then you kind of get through that. And I, and I, I started looking down like the coastline and be like, okay, I'm going to run to that railroad crossing. And then I got there and I was like, I'm going to burn another one. Like that is universal as far as life, fitness, any kind of thing like that. Like, I'm really glad you talked yep. about that principle because you do the same thing in your job. Hey, let me do, let me right. see if I can get to 700. And then I'll look around then and you get there and you're like, I yeah. think I could do a thousand, you know? Yeah. It's all, it's all about belief, right? If you believe that you can actually get to a, a destination, then, then you probably will. Um, what, what hurts us is when we stop believing. So like people, you know, you see it all the time in the industry that you ask them in the beginning, what you're going to do. And they say, oh, I'm going to do 30 installs halfway through the quarter. You're at five. That person no longer believes that they're going to get to 30, right? And so you have to play, you have to play these games, um, like you just on your run, right? You have to say, okay, well, I'm going to get to this position. I'm going to get to there because I can get there this week. This week, what can I control? I'm going to go out. I'm going to get five ACs, three welcome calls. That's, that's what I'm focusing on. Cause you know, oftentimes you focus on that, that long-term goal and it's debilitating. You see new reps, um, start and oftentimes it's, they don't need to focus on that, that mountain that they're climbing. They need to literally focus on the next rock. And that's it. And you need to get wins. Get there, do it, build up that self-confidence, and then you start to believe you can actually do, you know, the bigger stuff. Sir, I have a, talk for I have a, a second about. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Sorry, I was just gonna say I was gonna switch gears a minute as well, um, but kind of going back to your wife. I think we have a lot of guys who, um, when they start this job, they've got a lot of freedom that they didn't have with a previous job, and. I get asked all the time, like, how do you balance family and your relationships and then still be a top performer and work on Saturdays and work late nights? And, you know, you have consistently been one of the highest performers in the company. And, you know, every time I see, and I'm sure you and your wife 
you know, I've had your fair share of, you know, issues through your marriage or whatever. But every time I see you guys, you guys just always seem like you're in a good place. And how do you manage your personal life, you know, with your kids in your relationship, but also maintain that level of high performance? Yeah. Um, first of all, my wife, she's just a rock star. She's literally my best friend and we've known each other since you know, we were in seventh grade. So we, we, we've actually met in seventh grade. And, um, so I feel like, I feel like I know her really well and she knows me really well and I can communicate really clearly with her. But, um, and actually yesterday was our 10 year, 10 year anniversary. We did it guys. We did it. <laughs> you made it. Um, <laughs> no, she, I think honestly, all, all frustrations come from unmet expectations. So in this job, if, if you're not giving your spouse the right expectation, it's just easy to become frustrated with the, the schedule, right? And the hours because <clears throat> it's unconventional and oftentimes you're going to miss dinners and you're going to get home late and you're tired and, you know, the kids are tired. And so with my wife, we've, we've been very, um, I think we've been pretty good about just understanding that there'll, there'll be sacrifices from, from both of us. And it's more of a like team decision. Right. So we've, we've kind of, we've chosen this path together and she's just been a, a 100% supporting, you know, what I'm doing in my career. And, and she, I mean, part of it is, is she's just a rock star of a mom too. Like she's, she's able to balance our house, our, our kids, um, just our life while I'm out. It allows me to be effective at my job. See, if she's not good at her job, it, it rolls into my, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish here in, in my career. So, what you know? What, my, what my vision? I owe a lot of it to her. What vision have you painted for her that's helped her be on board with it and and maintain that long term vision? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, is it? Are you guys working towards something? Are you guys yeah. like what? What's her light at the end of the tunnel for moving away from her family to Bakersfield, California, and you know, just being supportive of you? For sure. And and in the beginning, it, it was different than it is now. Ironically, my wife loves Bakersfield. We have, we have, we bought a house here four years ago. And we have a lot of good close friends in our neighborhood. And if I were to tell my wife, you know, let's, let's move back to Utah, she probably wouldn't want to, she'd probably want to stay in Bakersfield. Um, so we have a really good thing going out, but, but in the beginning and honestly, what I'm working on right now is I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to 20 uh, rental properties as fast as I can. And I want to pay off uh, eight to 10 of those so that I have passive income coming in to where we're financially independent. And so she understands that. She knows the plan. She knows the goals and she knows what, what we're working towards. But kind of smaller than that, like something that we do that's systematic is every Sunday we have, we have a family powwow. So we get together and we, have, we get our kids, we sit them down. We try to teach them this one principle. You know, for example, teach him it's important to be honest. We'll talk about it for two minutes. We have little kids. My oldest is seven and a half. My youngest is turning two this month. And so we'll try to teach him something. And then in that powwow, we'll go through the weekly schedule. So my wife knows what's coming up this week. She knows if I have a conference, if I'm traveling, you know, out of town, she knows exactly what the expectation is that week. And then, um, we also get our kids involved with um, 
with goals. So we have each kid set a goal. My goal is this week I want to make my bed. You know, I want to brush my teeth, just simple stuff. So you want to start kind of training them in that mindset. And then for my wife, you know, one of the things she does is she has the kids each pick a dinner. And so she'll she'll say, okay, it's Nixon's turn. He's going to pick orange chicken. And that'll be on Thursday. So it just helps her to have that planned out because dinner's like one of the most stressful things at the end of the day, you're tired. So during our powwow, you know, I think that that's something that helps just set the right expectations just on a weekly basis. Yeah, man, that 15 that, minutes on a Sunday is, that's, that's incredible advice. That has absolutely changed my relationship with this job as well. It really has. Yeah. Yeah, you got to do it. You got so to find a plan and, and set that schedule just because it's gnarly with this job. You know what I mean? There's a lot that can come up. It's just the expectation, right? Like I, I find that most of the most of the people, most of our ambitious um, sellers and leaders, they just want to do well, right? And at the core, I think their spouse wants them to do well. The, I think the disconnect is just the the expectation. When they don't know what to expect, they feel unsafe. And if you can take 15 minutes and say, "Here's my schedule. Don't expect me on Tuesday, but I can help you put the kids to bed on on Wednesday." And then, and then you're good. You know, what I mean, I, I love that you've implemented that, Stir. Well, and what's crazy is they'll do they'll do such a good job with that with their customers, and then do such a poor job with it with their spouse or partner. That's right. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? It's because yeah. they take the you, you take the relationship for granted, and you just sort of expect it to always be there, and you stop doing the, the small things that create such a successful salesman, and then they'll stop doing that with their partner right so i totally agree we've been through awesome stuff dude yeah we've been through a lot of ups and downs with our team in bakersfield we've literally had two of our code co-managers just up and leave and that had a massive impact it was a huge setback well not only leave they started they started competing businesses in the same market with the same customer base with the same the same uh circle of influence with reps right yeah, same network, small town, Bakersfield. I mean, you see these guys on, on the streets, right? You're knocking in the same neighborhoods. And so, but when that happened, you know, you, you got to, and it's difficult to do this, but you have to look internally and say, so what, what isn't right? What did we do wrong? Um, and what can we change? How do we get better from this? And so, you know, I think uh, the first time that happened, I think it was, a, I think it was around the time that you had that like flooding in your house. I remember that your backyard. Oh my flooded. gosh. <laughs> that was a metaphor for everything that was happening in my life at the time with the business and uh, my home. I was a plumber, man, full-time plumber for a minute there. <laughs> no, I was a water um, bailer I, is what I was. So, <laughs> but I remember you making that um, connection and saying, hey, every now and then you need to clean out the pipes. Because if you don't, and, and our problem at that time was just simple communication. And so we, we weren't making contact with, with our reps and even our leaders consistently on a weekly basis. And so that was something that was lacking. And just that principle of communication, it's the same with our families. It's the same with like every aspect of life. Oftentimes, you know, you, you, you're frustrated with something. It's because your expectations aren't being met. And that has to do with just communication. So there's a lot of parallels that I've learned like from this job that I can implement with my family and in my life and, and communication is a huge one. Hey, how many, how many rental properties are you at? Uh, working on number eight, working on number funny, eight right now. Out of the way that Sterling buys rental properties is hilarious. <laughs> so he, he'll put a picture of a house on like our group thread. He's like, should I buy this? And like brand's answer is always yes. 
And so Sterling's like, done. No one is like, yeah. Got to keep it light, Mike, man. Yeah, Mike knows what he's doing. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. Like, everybody knows Mike's a real estate expert. Yeah, yeah, right. People don't know that about Mike, but he's he's really smart. So if you're having problems financially, you need to call Mike Brand. He knows a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Almost. something, sir, that you'd say you've you've become kind of passionate about? Because I've never known you to invest in real estate, but you know we've had exposure just through the job to people that are great with finance, and uh, I, I've been able to watch you kind of set this goal and then just go to work and chip away at it. And I haven't asked you that number, but man, I mean, it's what in the last year or so that you've bought eight. Is that right? Yeah, about a, about a year and a half. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been awesome, dude. And I, I, I absolutely is kind of become passionate about it. And there's other people in our region too. You know, Adam Cox and Jeff Galvin. I talk with them a lot, and and they're doing the same thing. It's kind of it's kind of become a like a game. <laughs> I think Adam mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. But you know, on the East Coast, instead of celebrating buying cars, now people are talking about buying houses. There's something there's something about real estate. It's just fun, you know. It's it. So I've always had money in the market, invested in the, you know, four hundred one k stocks, things like that. But real estate's just different. It's tangible. You can you can see it. You see the house. You're like, I own that house. It's just I don't know. There's something fun about it. And the homes that I'm investing in, they're not expensive. Huh? I, you know, buying homes in in Memphis, Tennessee, and and Orlando, these houses are between one hundred fifty and two hundred thousand dollars. So it, it's it's fun to. Uh, to set a goal and, and work towards it. But um, yeah, working on number eight has right it now. Changed the way, has it changed the way you approach just life? Like, you know, the, the things that you spend your money on, or have you found yourself becoming tighter with your money because you are like, oh, I got to get the next house. You know what I mean? Like, have you, have you found that it's changed just your overall just kind of approach to life? Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, yeah, the way the way I look at money now is I see it as a tool and just I want I want my money to be working for me while I'm earning more money. And well, so what about the way vehicle. what about even just specifically the approach to the job knowing that you're yeah. that you're oh, buying these then. properties like how does it affect yeah. your approach to this job? Yeah, it, it you know, it's funny um now when I look at my goals like on the quarterly on a quarterly goal I I really base it off of I want to buy I want to buy one or two rental properties every quarter, and then I'll break it down backwards and say, okay, well, if, if I'm going to invest a hundred thousand dollars into real estate, what number do I need to hit? You know, based on my area, my office, what number do I need to reach to to achieve that goal? And and I'm having my wife on board with that goal too helps just because she really manages a lot of our expenses. Um, but at the same time, there's a balance there. Like I don't. I'm not like a, a big uh, stickler on like spending. I, I think we, I'd like to still have fun, live a good life now, enjoy ourselves now. Um, but it, it gives me a lot more energy thinking about buying a rental property than versus uh, just putting that money in my bank and watching that. You know what I mean? I, that That's just something that kind of fires me up. Sir, here's something. Uh, when I was talking to Tyler Bennett, the guy you buy houses from, yeah? That's right. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, he he put together a you know like a a little plan for me, and he said, "Here's a bunch of houses I think you should buy." And it was funny because Adam, you and I had just interviewed Cameron Wake for episode number mm-hmm. three, who's you know the oh, yeah. he's one of the nation's <laughs> leaders in in uh, in climate you change. know climate change science and stuff. Yeah. And 
He's like, hey, well, I got these couple in Florida. And I was like, no, no Florida. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, why not? And he goes through all these things yeah. at the market. He's like, it's this, this, and this. I was like, man, Florida's going to be underwater in three years. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so oh, funny man. I was borderline joking. We'll figure it out, I'm sure. But he, it was just very clear that he had never had that objection before. And yeah. uh, he, he was hey, like, man, well, he's like I don't Cameron's know what to scared, do. And I'm like, Cameron's no scared Florida. us all. Hey, that yeah, podcast Cameron. was awesome with Cameron. He, that was awesome. I actually really liked that one. That was good info. I would Every never buy a house over the coast Miami, now. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, how are they going to damn that thing up? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah. The old insurance. Okay, well, Sterling, as, as, as I understand, dude, you've got a, a whole room of brand new reps waiting for you to come in there and give them their boot camp, and they've been waiting now for probably an hour and 15 minutes since you first told me that. So we're gonna let you get back to it dude but thank you so much for being on thanks for sharing uh, i'm a huge fan of yours i'm super grateful for your success i've loved seeing your evolution and uh thanks for being on and sharing with us man thanks for having me on guys i appreciate it thanks for hanging out with us today this is electric people take these principles and go be electric